Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello again, everyone out there in Grace Guard Dog Land, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name is Bill, and I'm sitting across the table from Scholar Steve. (laughs) Don't lie. Don't (laughs) lie, Bill. Not on the podcast. A.K.A. Grace Guard Dog Steve. Bible nerd, maybe. Bible nerd Steve. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. He is a Bible nerd. Yes, I am a Bible nerd. Love that Bible. Okay. Uh, how, how's your week been, Bill? Has it been full of the cares of the world? Or are you, you kind of getting it behind you so that we can concentrate on this ministry? Or how's that all going? Cares are still there, but I've been living like that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and yeah. the things of the world grow strangely dim. dim. And they're seeming to grow strangely dim. And that is a good thing because I know those cares were strangely choking you, choking you to death. So we're glad you're back in the podcast area, Bill. And I hope that someday we can get you in this studio five days a week. I hope a miracle takes place and you can be here in the studio with me and we can podcast every day, put out a new podcast, but we're waiting on the Lord. He'll, he'll do his thing. Yes, he will do his thing and it'll all be in the timing of the Lord. So Amen. nothing to worry about. No, when you look at it like that, when you live by promises, from a faithful promise keeper tends to relax you. It tends to relax you, but so often I find myself going, Lord, I'm full of these scriptures and Bill is too. And what we want to do is be in the studio. And where is Billy's out there in the field? Lord, I I want him in the studio with me. I miss him. Come on, Lord, make it happen. And I bug God all day long. I know it will happen in his time, but it will. He's still being bothered by me, that's for sure. I'm a pest to the Lord. You're not the only one that gets tired of waiting on promises. Apparently, Mr. Abraham. I never got to see it. Should we do some review? Yeah, because he got some whopper promises. He did. He did. And they benefited us, too, but... If I were to to say by way of review, last podcast, we were just pointing to the scriptures like, like Genesis 12, 3, where Abraham was receiving the promise about oh, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea, and I will bless you, and I will bless all nations through you. And then we look where... He gave that same promise to Isaac, his son. Same thing. I'm going to bless you. The promise is coming. Hasn't come yet, 
then then after that in, in Genesis 28 Jacob gets the promise they've all received the promise so the promise is nailed down and in Hebrews he says when he was making those promises he was swearing by nobody other than himself because he found that there was nothing else he could swear by that was as valuable as his own oath. That's why he made the oath with Abraham in the beginning. He, he had Abraham cut up the animals, then Abraham falls asleep and he makes the oath all by himself. He makes, at that time it's called a covenant, but when you look back through the Old Testament, you'll see God calling what was seen as a covenant. God's just calling it his promise. So the promise, the, the covenant turns out to be just a promise from God and nothing on our side has to be done to earn the benefits of the covenant. God saw to that. He saw to that and it even says in Galatians that God foresaw what he was going to do through Christ and how he was going to get us the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 3.16, it says the scriptures foretold to Abraham that this promise was coming. Scriptures hadn't even been written yet. But Abraham was getting information from the spirit that writes the scriptures, just like it, it said so many times that, that the prophets looked intently trying to figure out what was going on when the spirit of Christ in them was prophesying about Christ. Well, it was the spirit of Christ prophesying to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob back in the Old Testament about this promise that is such a blessing to us. It, it's a, a gift. And from that point, I, I just turn it over to Bill because Bill, because Bill's the man, because Bill's the man. Yeah. He can't do it. Nobody can. Uh, yeah, but Bill, go ahead. Tell us what you were thinking. Thanks for that whopper of a lie. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I know how you meant it. No, Bill's the man, but man doesn't do anything. It's still the spirit that does it. So Abraham, really, he and all the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on and on and on, they got one part of the oath, which was to be credited with being righteous. But they, they did get the promise because something had to happen. There had, the seed that was promised had not arrived yet. And who was that seed, Steve? Christ. He was this promised seed. What it says in Galatians 3, and the seed was Christ. So the promise is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the seed. Which you do see the the Holy Spirit involved in people's lives throughout the Old Testament, but it's nothing like 
what we get in the new covenant. No, he dwells in us. 24-7. Yeah, exactly. He dwells in us for the rest of our physical lives. Whereas the old, they would get the spirit for to do certain things. I, I remember one time we talked about even when they were building the temple, it says God put his spirit on, on the iron worker. <laughs> He put his spirit on the guy that made the curtains. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. Because he wanted the curtains to be a work of just God. Right. Yep. Yeah, just right. Yeah, that's why in Psalm it says, you've done the work of our hands. Oh, wow, yeah, exactly. The gift of righteousness is something w- that we all have. And there's only two kinds of righteousness. And remember, <laughs> righteousness is a covenant word. Under the law was a two-party covenant. God does his part, and you do your part. And if you do your part, that is credited, that is counted to you as what? Righteousness. Right, righteousness. Righteousness. You're justified. And God did his part. He was righteous. We failed in our part because our righteousness did not reach the standard it needed to. So the first righteousness is actually self-righteousness yes then there's another type of righteousness and this righteousness is called throughout this promise the gift of righteousness in terms of gift language you didn't deserve anything to be called righteous that's why in Galatians it says it was credited to Abraham Abraham as righteous Yes. And I always thought Abraham believed God, and God said, that's that's all I want from you. Just believe me. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But Did really, you? God just gave him credit for believing him in order that this promised Holy Spirit that he was talking about and promising would actually come through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and then him coming back to earth as in spiritual form. So that promise would be sure because if it depended on Abraham to do anything concerning it, if he didn't get all discredited with all that stuff, we wouldn't have the promise fulfilled. Right, exactly. And the, the idea of faith or believing God was actually a work of the law. Remember in Matthew 23, 20, 23, 23, I think it is. It says Jesus was hammering the Pharisees and he said, you guys tithe on yours. I mean, you tithe on your spices. But he said, you ignore the weightier matters of the law. And what was the number one weight, weightier matter of the law? Faith. Faith. Faithfulness. Yes. Did they keep it or ignore it? They ignored it. Ignored it. Although they tried as hard as they could because there was a veil over their eyes. They could not see like we can in the New Testament. You see, we're in this new covenant where God said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to live a righteous Christian life. And we're going to see because we're, we're going to go through the verses that show it, we're going to see that until the new covenant, there was a veil. 
there is a veil over everybody's eyes in the Old Testament and many times in modern day Christianity we see pastors preaching and you can tell there's a veil over their eyes. They're not understanding that apart from Jesus we can do nothing but we can bear a lot of fruit if we remain in his power and let him manifest himself. But if we catch on to this idea, we can see Jesus all day long working through people and everything. A veil is lifted off of our eyes and there, there are scriptures that show it was promised. It was promised. And so the, the self-righteousness or the righteousness that comes from the law had to be demonstrated that they couldn't keep it. Yes. Before they could understand that the promise had nothing to do with the covenant of law. It was one, it was given before the law, but two, the law coming in 430 years after the promise, it says, did not nullify the promise. Yes. The fact that they could not be righteous did not mean they were unrighteous. They were righteous because he gave them. He credited, he credited them the righteousness so that he could give them the spirit and remove the veil. We should actually look at the verses that show that he was promising the veil. Okay. Don't you mean removal of the veil? I think I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be a whale of a terrible promise. A permanent to, to veil. veil. Yeah. The the removal of the veil is, is just so wonderful and so enlightening. Thank you, Lord, for removing the veil. But, okay, so what verse do you want me to go to? Well, let's keep in mind there's two covenants in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The old and new. Mm-hmm. The first covenant, covenant comes from Mount Sinai, right? That was the law. And then the other covenant, we can go into Hebrews later and talk about the new covenant, comes from Mount Zion. Okay. And this mountain is talked about in Isaiah 25. You're familiar with it. I'm not. Bill, I tell you the truth. I confess that what you're telling me is is, is fresh. I, I, it's it, never it's, dawned on me you're teaching me. So go ahead. Okay. It's kind of fresh to me, but can you read maybe Isaiah 25, 7 and 8? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. Even the veil which is stretched over all nations, he will swallow up death for all time and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth the Lord has spoken there's a lot about forgiveness of sins there being removed and there's a lot about a veil being removed 
And the veil comes from thinking that you can keep the law and be righteous. The reason I say that is because Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 3, didn't he? Yes. Do you want to go there? Yeah. If you notice, there's a couple... Death is swallowed up in victory. Doesn't Paul repeat that in 1 Corinthians 15? Then will come the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Where is your sting? So let's go to 2 Corinthians 3. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. 2 Corinthians 3, I think I'm going to start in verse 6 to get a running start. And you guys, this is a bunch of scripture to read and remember I'm half blind so we'll see how it goes okay God made us adequate servants of the new covenant and not the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life but if the ministry of death engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory on his faith was fading as it was. How shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glorious? For If the ministry of condemnation had glory, much more does this ministry of righteousness, you've been credited with righteousness and the Spirit tells you that. How much more does the Spirit of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it, meaning this new covenant glory surpasses it, so the other one is fading away, it'll say. If that which fades away was with glory, much more the one that remains will have glory. Having therefore such hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. The same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil is over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And we with, but we all with unveiled faces beholding in a mirror the glory of who? The Lord. The veil is lifted and we can see the Lord's activity. He's manifesting himself through us. Being in, while we're being transformed 
into the same image as Jesus from glory to glory from the Lord the Spirit. We're going from glory to glory, that old covenant glory to, to this new, new covenant glory where we show the face of Christ all the time. Shining. And when people are not putting themselves under that law mentality, the veil is lifted and they can see Christ shining through us during the course of a day. You can actually see Christ during the course of the day. That's what this new covenant tells us about. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to live a good life. And then it gives you all the nuances Christ will manifest himself. You can see his face if you're not being a legalist kind of guy because then there's a veil over your eyes. These are all in-time temporal truths about you and your thinking and your ability to be able to see this promised Holy Spirit and have the veil removed which is what we were looking at in Isaiah 25. So now it's time to go to Isaiah. We just read in Isaiah 25, verse 3, And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering, which is over all people, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. So that is where he promised to remove this veil that we were talking about in, in 2 Corinthians 3. In Christ, the veil is removed, but under the law, the, the veil, veil remains. Remain. So we've got this. He, he said, I'll give you righteousness. I will credit you with righteousness so that this promise gets fulfilled and I can give you the gift of righteousness on a permanent basis. You're always seen righteous in God's eyes. Therefore, you can have the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is what he wanted to give us to make the new covenant he promised us. I'll make a new covenant with you and I will put my spirit in you. Well, he went through all that so that he could put his spirit in us to cause us to walk a righteous life. And he said, I will remove the veil that keeps you from seeing it. And in Christ, you see 2 Corinthians telling us that in Christ, the veil is removed. And under the law, when you're thinking commandment mentality, you don't see Christ. You just see somebody trying to do good or bad. But if you're in Christ and not in that Ten Covenant mentality, you can actually see that it's Christ in this person acting righteously because men the don't veil is act removed. right. The veil is removed. The veil is the knowledge that men don't act righteously they can't the mind of the flesh does not subject itself to the laws of god nor is it able to do so the mind of the flesh can't please god romans 8 5 and 6 can't please god when you realize that that's the veil 
when you realize that man can't please God, the veil is removed and you can actually see Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Every minute you, you've got the possibility of seeing Jesus. You can actually talk to Jesus where two or three together I'm in their midst. Let the veil be removed and let us know that you're in their midst. Well, in Christ, the veil is removed. He did what he promised to do. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give us the spirit. And he promised in Isaiah 25 that he would remove the veil. And then we would know what he says in Isaiah 45, which is so profound. Let us go there and you'll recognize this verse from the New Testament. It's in there twice. That's right. We'll we'll look at it in all three places. So let's cover Isaiah 45. Hey, let's uncover Isaiah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's uncover Isaiah 45. Let's unveil. Let's unveil it. Yes. What verse should I go to? I'm there. Let's do 45, 17, then jump down to 23, 24. Okay. Israel has been saved by the Lord and with an everlasting salvation, you will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. Never put to shame, never humiliated is what God was telling them would happen. Okay, then it goes on to verse 23, which says, I have sworn by myself, just like he did the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I swore by myself, the word has gone from my mouth in righteousness, and I will not turn back. Every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say, only in the Lord is righteousness. Only in the Lord is righteousness. Do you realize it comes to a day when the veil is taken away and everybody unanimously shouts, only is the Lord the source of righteousness. Only him. He's the only one who has the righteousness. Everybody realizes it. We come to a place where everybody finally realizes it. The veil is off. And then I think the next verse says everyone trusting in their own right. I'm paraphrasing. Trusting in their own self-righteousness is what put to shame. To shame. Which is exactly what it says in John chapter 3. They hide in the dark because their deeds don't make it and they don't want to be put to shame. But those who practice the truth will run to the light that it may be clearly seen that what has been done has been done by God. Isn't that the same thing as saying only in the Lord is righteousness? That's the exact same thing as saying only in the Lord is righteousness. Only the things done by God are what count. That is talking like people who have the veil removed and they know that only the Lord is righteous. When you understand that only the Lord is righteous and you stop 
trying to attain righteousness and you stop giving people credit like, oh, that was pretty good. You, you had a good day today. Can Only when you stop doing that can you see God. The veil is removed. In Christ, the veil is removed and the glory shines on our face and you can see it when you don't have the legalistic mentality. You can see Christ's face in everybody you come to contact with and you can communicate with Christ and know it because the veil is removed. This promised veil that he promised every since Abraham. He's been promising and promising and promising and promising for 2,000 plus years he made that promise. And then he put Christ on the cross so that he could deliver on that promise. And Christ died for our sins and made us clean vessels that Christ uses. That's exactly what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, right? Exactly. And just to go back to Isaiah 25, remember he says, and this mountain, the veil will be removed. And there's two mountains, and they're both significant of two covenants, right? Because they illustrate something. Yes. So Mount Sinai was where the law came from. Okay. And we can go to Hebrews and look at that because it's a scary picture when yeah. the law was read. Let, 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 let's go to Hebrews because this is what I want to get a handle on, what you're saying right now. Yeah, let's go to Hebrew, um, Hebrews because it it, re, it picks up on both these mountains. The okay. mountain where the veil is removed and the mountain where the veil remains. Okay, and what what chapter? That's Hebrews 12, probably start in verse... 18, I think. Hebrews 12, 18. Okay, let me get there. Oh, look at this, Bill. Just, sorry, I'm going to put this in there, but look at, at verse 15. It says, Pursue peace with all men and sanctification, because if you don't have sanctification, no one will see the Lord. In other words, Jesus acts like a sanctified person. And if you're seeing somebody act like a sanctified person, you're seeing Seems the Lord. That's wow. what this verse is about. Without it, they're not showing you the Lord. Do you see how many verses are in the Bible? Doesn't that make sense once you get turned on to this idea about seeing the Lord? Well, that verse says, unless you're walking righteously, no one will see the Lord. Meaning, if you're walking righteously, the person is looking at the Lord a with an unveiled face, a manifestation of the Lord. What a powerful verse. And then, then it says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Unbelievable, because the grace of God is the manifestation of Jesus. That is what the grace of God is that you receive all the time. Okay, I just had to mention that. But let's well, go worth to mentioning too, I gotta say. Yeah. I think you're gonna go to eighteen. Yeah, yeah. For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched. 
into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom, into whirlwind, into the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which was that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command. <laughs> they could not bear the commands. Even a beast who touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And they could not come to this place that was so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly of the church on Mount Zion. You have made it there. You are part of this kingdom. Wow. So just to pick up on that, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but... No, you didn't. So which mountain did we not come to? Where the law was given. Was Sinai. Where, where they said, don't utter any more sounds of the law. We can't take it. We can't take those commands anymore. They'd... So let's get this straight for those what of you that want to go back to the law. Yeah. What these two mountains represent, one representing total futility. Did your verse say Moses was quaking in his sandals, basically? Yeah. And the people said, please tell him to stop talking. They couldn't bear it. They couldn't bear the commands that he was telling them. It says literally the commands. They were frightened to death. Scared to death. Scared to death. And isn't it the ministry of death too? It is the the ministry of fear, the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. Those are all associated with Mount Sinai. And the law. And the law. But it says we didn't come to that mountain. Well, someone put us in the mountain. <laughs> it came when we went to church. And they put us back on that mountain <laughs> yeah. and took us away from the good mountain. <laughs> That's funny, but true. It's true. It, you go to church and get put right back on that fearful mountain, and then you can't see the Lord. So let me think this through. Do I want to go to the mountain with of thousands upon thousands of messengers and joyful assembly, or do I want to go to the mountain where you shake and quake and say, please, no more commandments, no more self-righteous what I got to do, no more unshakable, unbreakables, no more human effort, no more pull yourself up by the bootstraps, which is the stupidest saying that ever was. <laughs> and I know a preacher that says it all the time. Right yeah. in the pulpit. Been saying it for 25 years. But we didn't come to that mountain. We did not. Don't let people bring you to that mountain. Bring yourself to the mountain where the veil is removed and you see the beauty of the kingdom of God. Do you remember Jesus saying to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He did not tell him those words without a specific reason. He wants you to know that in the spirit, 
you can see the kingdom of God here on earth and you can see the activity of the kingdom of God because you can see the activity of the spirit because the veil is removed. And when the veil is removed, you make that oath in Isaiah 45, only in the Lord is righteousness. When you go to Mount Sinai, if you're careful to keep all the laws and all the commandments without messing up on even one, remember, if anyone would attempt to keep the law and stumble at how many commandments? Ten or twenty? No, 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 one? One. One. One day, one uh-huh. bad day, uh-huh. one commandment tripped you up, you're guilty of breaking it all. Yep. And Romans 3 tells us that not one person made the grave. Not one. No. No one is good. No one is righteousness. No one seeks after me. No one means no one. No one got the grade high enough to be accepted by God as some type of righteousness that he would accept. It was all turned down as filthy rags. So this is saying not only are we credited with righteousness, not only are we credited with complete obedience to everything God has, it goes further because now we can actually live it out. We can live a a life of obedience. That is such a beautiful thought. Now we can live it out. This is the way to live it out. That's what Guardians of Grace preaches to you time after time after time. Jesus in you is the hope of glory. So even though no one under the law knew they were righteous, they were. Because God made a covenant with himself. And he said, I'll be their righteousness. I'll fulfill everything that I require to be fulfilled to be called righteous. I'll do it. And I'll do it in them. And I'll credit them with being righteous, even though they never did. And you can see how God credited Abraham with being righteous righteous in Romans chapter 4, where he says, right, God calls things that were not as if they were. God calls things that do not exist as though they existed. And in Abraham's case, God just called him a believer. Called him a, a believer, awesome, beautiful guy. And he says, I'm doing this for your benefit because that's how I see you. I see you as righteous, just like I see Abraham as righteous. That's why we went long on last week when we said Abraham was credited with righteousness. And I always thought it was Abraham believed and his believing got credited with righteousness or justified. But when we looked at it a little closer, he really didn't believe much. That's right. Because Get a load of this verse. It's in the end of Philippians 2 where it says, God not only granted you to suffer for Christ, 
but to believe in him. You don't believe in him unless God grants it. That's why Jesus could say, no one comes to the Father unless the Son brings him to the Father. On and on it goes. First Corinthians 13, 47. All those who were appointed to believe, believed. Okay, so let's go back to Isaiah 25, verse 7. Remember it says, the, there was a veil over all people. Mount Sinai was the veil. Second Corinthians 3 that we just did brought that out. There's a veil remains over their eyes when they are under the law. But in Isaiah 25, 7, we see a different mountain. He says, the veil over all people and all Gentiles will be removed and death verse 8 is swallowed up in victory what was the death he's talking about the death is feeling unrighteous by keeping the law right oh it is it is that is one of the forms of death and it's one of the forms of death that is mentioned over and over and over again Romans chapter 7 yeah what's the last thing Paul cries out who will rescue me? Who am I? <laughs> Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more just to finish up the thought in Isaiah 25. Where okay. The veil okay. is removed. I'm death is swallowed up in victory. And then what happens in verse 9? And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God from whom we have waited that he might save us. Oh, dear Lord, that he might, behold, we're waiting on him to save us. And then, it, then every knee bows and says, Only in you is righteousness. You're the one we've been waiting on to save us. And remember that waiting is that same word in Isaiah 40, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And it's that kavah word. You remember what that meant, right? Intertwine? Intertwine, yeah. This It means exactly the same as the vine and the branches exactly. bearing fruit, mm -hmm. intertwined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It means the same as Matthew saying, those that have a single eye, they see the Lord. Yes. That, that word means entwined together, too. Uh, their whole body is full of light, is actually what it says in, yeah. in Matthew. But here in verse 9, it says, we waited. I think it says waited twice. Maybe it doesn't. And he rescues us. And it's that word, yasha. Which so we is, intertwine twice. We, we, the two will become one flesh twice. And it's that word, Yasha and Yahshua, both in Isaiah 25, 9. And Yahshua is the name of Jesus. Yes. And it also means Savior, Savior and Deliverer. Yes. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. So death is swallowed up in victory because we're saved by Yahshua. Who will rescue me, save me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He saves us from death 
as the penalty for our sins. He saves us from having to go through that, and he saves us from the day-to-day death of experiencing the old man and not being intertwined with the vine. In other words, Bill, quote this verse, the Lord has spoken, for whom we have waited that he might save us. Quote that verse, knowing the Hebrew words that you know the meaning of. See how it changes the verse. So 25, 9 of Isaiah. And it shall be said in that day, upon this revelation that we're getting today, this is our God. We have entwined with him, combined strength with him, and he will save us, Yeshua us, Jesus us. This is the Lord, the I am. We have combined our strength with him, relied on him, intertwined with him, abided in him. We will be glad, not depressed. We will rejoice, not lament, his salvation, his Yahshua, his Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Yep. So it says we have intertwined with him and he has saved us. And we have intertwined with him and we are glad that we intertwined with him. I am, anytime he intertwines with me, man, I rejoice. I, I cherish the moment. And this never happens unless the veil is removed. And that's what it says on this mountain, which is Mount Zion. The veil is removed. But whenever Moses is read to a legalist, says the veil remains. Whenever you sit in church and you get a bunch of do's and don'ts, guess what remains? The veil. The veil remains. You can't see any speaking about Jesus. But when the veil is removed, you learn this concept of waiting or combining strength or abiding in him. And that's that's the oath. That's the promise of God that if you abide in me, I will abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me abiding in the law, you can do nothing. See the contrast? Yes. Nothing and everything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Bearing fruit and no fruit. Yep, yep. Can you pray for us and just bring that out? Yeah, I think we're, we'll have to pick this up again. Father God, you unveiled a, a mystery of mysteries. It was hidden like Steve's podcast a few weeks ago. You have the whole Bible in your hand. It was put in little bits and pieces and parts in the old covenant and hidden and veiled from us. But you've removed the veil and you've opened up all your promises and all your promises are yes and amen in Christ. Teach us not to obey the law. Teach us to wait on you. Teach us to abide in you because that's that's the secret. That's the mystery. That's the gift that we have. Mm -hmm. The gift of righteousness. 
in the full expectation that we can live an exemplary Christian life outside of our human effort by waiting, abiding in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. Thank you for listening to us. We love you. Love you guys. Good night.